This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast is brought to you by Bowerfine Premium Braces and Supports. Bowerfine promotes mobility and activity through pain relief and improved joint control. In this episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast, Janelle Manzi, professional ballet dancer with the New York City Ballet, displays how she balances investing in her health without letting it overwhelm her. Optimizing function with symptomatic joint hypermobility will mean different things for different people at various points across the lifespan and will vary depending on your own unique circumstances. We hope you will enjoy this uplifting conversation. Welcome back to the Bendy Bodies podcast, where we speak with experts bringing you state-of-the-art information to help you improve your well-being, enhance your performance, and optimize career longevity. This is co-host Jennifer Milner, here with the hypermobility MD, Dr. Linda Bluestein. We are so glad you are here to learn tips to live your best Bendy life. This information is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. I'm Jennifer Milner, a former professional ballet and Broadway dancer, and I struggled my whole career with hypermobility-related issues and injuries. Now, I train dancers and want to make sure the next generation of hypermobile artists are better equipped to work to their fullest potential. I'm Dr. Linda Bluestein, and I started Bendy Bodies to educate the hypermobile community. Despite being a physician, I experienced decades of symptoms before being finally diagnosed with hypermobile EDS. I've combined my medical education and personal experience to treat and coach patients and clients to optimize their quality of life. Our guest today is Janelle Manzi, professional ballet dancer with New York City Ballet, founder of Get Golden, an EDS warrior. Hello, Janelle, and welcome to Bendy Bodies. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm truly honored to be here. We are very excited to have you here. So um, before we dig into what we want to talk to you about, can you tell us a bit about who you are? I'm Janelle, and I am a ballerina with New York City Ballet. I'm in the Corps de Ballet, and I've struggled with EDS um, pretty much my entire career. And through that, I learned a lot of lessons that inspired me to build my food and wellness company, Get Golden. And that's that's what we want to talk to you about today. Like that's like the one sentence summary of what we're about to discuss for the next for the next however many minutes is sort of what you went through um, with your career. So what was life for you growing up as you were aspiring to be a professional ballet to to a professional ballet career? Injuries, instability, benefits, not benefits, all of that. I'm sure a lot of people that have EDS can relate to this sort of reflection that I didn't even really realize until I was diagnosed and until I had read several studies and books and listened to podcast interviews about people that had the same experience. So I clearly remember my mom always having to tell anyone that was playing with me that they couldn't grab my arms too quickly or pull me because I would always, my, my shoulders would pop out, my elbows would dislocate and I would have to go to the emergency room and have everything reset. And this would happen all the time. I mean, your grandparents would pick you up and swing you around like normal kids. That's what you do. And it would happen time and time again. And I didn't even really connect the two together until actually probably the last maybe two years thought, thought that that might have some sort of parallel. Um, I, I always had issues with joints um, popping out of place and injury just odd injuries and odd inflammatory responses. I would have um, 
a lot of allergic reactions, let's say a mosquito would bite me and I would have to semi end the family vacation because my calf would blow up like four times the size of it <laughs> previously. And all of these things looking back now make total sense. But in the moment, as I was growing up, it was just kind of one of those things. Oh, oh, oh okay. Bubble, bubble. My parents said like bubble, bubble, because I was always kind of getting hurt. Yeah. I was a little bit accident prone and I was, I was also fearless. I love to be active. I love to rollerblade and, and climb and bike ride. And I still do. Um, but I definitely was super accident prone. And so looking back all of those mostly joint instabilities and some allergic responses that were pretty extreme all kind of painted the picture for the rest of, I mean, where I am, where I am now. And of course in ballet, especially being flexible and having incredible range of motion can be very beneficial, but somewhere along the way, did you realize that your body was built differently from other dancers? And can you tell us about that? I think that one of the most extreme things that I didn't even want to admit until I've realized why I used to do it. I remember being really, really tired standing for too long in, in class, in a summer program. And I would need to sit down. I never understood why other people's hips weren't tired from just kind of standing in the back of the studio before they did the combinations. And it is because I think this is my theory that I have to work a little bit harder to keep my femurs and my legs to even stand because my femurs just pop out. And so I guess growing up at SAB, I mean, I loved my experience there and I didn't really understand how to create shapes. And I think that's where I really struggled. And at SAB and Balanchine Technique, there is obviously a, a shape and a specific look that we're supposed to have. And I was able to contort my body to do it, but that did not mean that it was correct. And that works for so long, you know, and it, yeah, I mean, I had great flexibility. I had beautiful extension and I cherish those things to this day, but I definitely, I definitely struggled because I didn't even know what I didn't have. And I think that's, that, that's the key that I've finally come to terms with and realized was, was a squareness and a stability that you don't even know how to turn those muscles on or know that those, you don't have that neuromuscular connection until you start to discover it. And it's, it was impossible for me to find it because I didn't even know who to go to, how to do it. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. And so I just thought everything I was doing was normal, you know, and things were supposed to pop out and you were supposed to click things like this so that it moves and gets into this position. And that's just how it went. And to get into an arabesque, there were 50 million ways to do it. Someone says like Deblape side and in your brain, which is a whole other thing, you have 500 options. Do you want, do I go this way? Do I go that route? Do you go that route? Where I think, I, I think that someone that's not necessarily as hypermobile, there's really only, obviously there's a not proper ballet way to do something, but anatomically, there's only one physical way that they can really go that route. And I think that's where I had so many different options, but didn't even know that there was only supposed to be most likely one. So you just make it work. Any ballerina does that. It's in our blood. You know, we, make it work. And so that's what I did for many, many years is made it work. And, and it did work. I mean, I'm grateful for getting to where I am and for SAB providing me with the training that I have and carried with me, but I definitely had to learn a lot as the years went on. 
as I became a professional. Mm-hmm. Well, and and that's something we hear a lot from dancers, from pre-professional dancers and, and newly professional dancers um, dealing with hypermobility is so many teachers love you because you can make these beautiful pictures. And so many dancers are people pleasers. That's just kind of what we grow up to do. We want to please those people in authority. And they say, do this. And you're like, uh, okay. And you do whatever it takes to do that. And they're like, that's cool. Can you do this? And you're like, uh, okay. You know? And so you do these things and they're like, that's great. And then after a few years, they're like, huh, this kind of hurts. <laughs> or this doesn't feel right. Or like you said, I'm not feeling any connection to this or that. That, Is that right? Um, So I think a lot of dancers with hypermobile disorders hit that point where they're the, the easy to work with person to start with because they can create those pictures. And then they're the hard to work with person because they're creating those pictures at a cost and starting to get injured and starting to say, I don't think I should do that. Um, and having to, you know, take time out and that sort of thing. So I think there are lots of people that have kind of had your experience. Yeah. I think also one more thing on that. I struggled to figure out how other people did it. And I mean, students, and I felt, I would feel frustrated with myself that I think as a student, a student, especially you, you want to do the best you can for your teacher. And when you can't necessarily create those movements and create those exact shapes that they want, but you kind of can do it with your flexibility. That's where I felt so much inner frustration and confusion. And then that led to lack of confidence, all of those things, because you just, you wanted to be the best dancer. You wanted to listen to your teacher and do what she was saying, but you physically couldn't figure out how to do it because your muscles, you don't even know how, how to make it happen. And yeah, I, you deal with a little bit of a comparison issue too, which I know isn't healthy, but when you're younger, you don't know any better. I think that's a huge key right there. When you're a younger dancer, you don't know any better. That's that's like an excellent point right there that you just, like you said, you just make it happen. And and uh, and over time, you have to kind of figure out other ways to do things as maybe things get to be harder or things start to hurt. Um, was there a time when you felt like maybe you would need to stop dancing for a while and kind of work on your health? And if so, how how was, how was that? Mm-hmm. I think several times. So my first serious injury in the company was my second going on third year. And I had been dealing with two ostrogonums that had broken off and they had been irritating and then tore my tendon. And I was very young, naive, eager to get back on the stage, perhaps too eager. And I had chosen to do the quick fix of getting cortisone injections. And I think by nature, it weakened the tendon more and then I ended up back in square one a year later of just being in a boot cast, getting cortisone injections with the same exact pain, same exact swelling with a torn tendon instead of just ostrogonums. And so at that point I had had exploratory surgery to repair the tendon that they figured out was torn and to remove the ostrogonums. And that kicked off the worst time in my whole life. I mean, I was learning how to walk in a pool. I was dealing with food sensitivities all of a sudden very slow to heal. And this was kind of, this was this, the pattern that we, and by we, my physical therapist, doctor started to realize how slow or how much slower to heal I was than a lot of other people. And when you're young and you're excited about dancing with your dream company, I, I felt pathetic. You know, you, you feel like your body's failing you. You don't understand why you're so inflamed in certain areas, why it's not healing the same as other people. And it was 
it was really tough. So I think that was the first time my first injury, my first big injury where I felt recovering from that. I would sit at that table on the table and just wonder what is, is it all worth it? Being so frustrated, wondering what am I doing? I can also continue with more. I mean, I, I can count. I probably need two hands for this. <laughs> hold hold on, because before before you go deeper in that, I just want to sketch out a timeline really quick. I'd love to know, like, at what point in your career you were diagnosed with EDS? And like, there was that moment where you were like, oh, so I have this thing. Was it before these injuries started happening? Was it after these injuries started happening? So how did you, when, at what point did that happen? So 2000 and maybe it was 10, I started to hear the words or they started to register. You're extremely hypermobile. Janelle's extremely hypermobile, extremely hypermobile. I didn't even know what that meant. I just thought it meant I was flexible. And I started seeing a Pilates instructor, Marimba, who's also been on the podcast. Shout out to Marimba. I love, I love that girl. So much. <laughs> Shout out. She changed my life. Oh, and, um, she taught me a lot about hypermobility through both her own experience and explaining it and, and guiding me to some of the doctors that she had seen or doctor or friends of friends. And I kind of took a lot of those tools and expanded upon them and learned more and got really just intrigued and, and curious about EDS and, and what it was and do I have it? And I would say in 2015, it was, was when I officially went and got diagnosed. And then I most recently this summer, once again, went and got, I, you, I don't know what you would call it, re-diagnosed just to make sure. Reassessed. I, was just, I guess reassessed. Yes. Um, because I had had once again, another injury. So I, um, I always wonder about this, whether sometimes you just need, I think we all in times of frustration and um, darkness to be really frank. Um, you need an answer. You want something to hold on to. You need hope. You, yeah, we all need an answer to kind of even just get out of that hole. And I was really frustrated this past summer with, um, a fracture that I had have now gotten twice and you just want to, I don't know, you need an answer. So yes, my first official diagnosis was in 2015. And that pretty much helped me understand a little bit more about at least being hypermobile. And that, like I said, kicked off me then researching more about obviously nutrition and seeing a holistic nutritionist, seeing you name the healer, I went to them. And I feel like they taught me so much and also inspired me to continue my studies and to continue ordering this book and that book and reading and reading just even studies and various journals about what, what was happening in the space and, and listening to other people's experiences. And I discovered your podcast. And I mean, in those moments, you feel like your entire life, you feel like you can finally relate to people and you feel heard and you feel like your experiences, and it sounds wacky to say this out loud, but are valid. And I, I look back at the little girl in me and just feel so bad for her in a way. And sorry, because I was so mad at myself, at my body, at what was happening. And th there comes a point in this journey with flexibility, 
hypermobility syndrome where you just have to accept like that this is this is your reality and this is what it is and you have to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I see people I see people hit that point a lot. Um, we, we watch people go through all the different stages of it. And I'm thinking about what you said earlier in the podcast about how your parents were always joking about, you know, we got to put Janelle in her bubble and it can feel so frustrating because you do feel like you're in a bubble. You know, I can't spin around with someone holding my hands. Like everybody does. I can't sit on the floor comfortably. Like everybody does. Cause my tailbone moves. I can't do this. I can't do that. And it gets so frustrating. And I know Dr. Bluestein feels the same way. We've been through this ourselves. We're like, why can't we just eat dairy like everyone else? Why can't we do this like everyone else? It's not fair. But what you're talking about is learning how to thrive inside that bubble. And and I think it's okay to acknowledge your limitations and then say, maybe the possibilities within those limitations aren't as limited as I think they are, right? Let's see, how can I thrive within that bubble? It's a stretchy bubble. <laughs> let's see how far we can push it, right? Let's let's see what we can do. And one of the key things is what you did is to gather that support team. And it sounds like you've been slowly gathering that support team as you've learned more and as you've gone further. So you talked about some having those dark moments. I appreciate you acknowledging that because everybody goes through those dark moments and you're like, this is so freaking hard. Like, is it too hard? And did you hit a point or have you hit more than one point where you thought it's not worth it? I'm not coming back to dance when you were trying to get through these injuries. I mean, yes and no. I think it never got so serious that I almost did it officially, but I definitely had extremely low weeks during the time I was injured. I mean, you name the time where my mind would definitely go there, but I, I love dance so much. And I think that through personal reflection and really listening to what I wanted, and I I would do a lot of journaling too. And you, you really have to outweigh the positives and the negatives. And I think I, I think I would just put myself in this place where I would think about, I can let this win or I can let my heart win and my heart and my passion and my work ethic at this point until it's not possible, we'll conquer this. And until it's not possible, I'm not backing down. And I spoke, or not spoke, I wrote out recently for um, an interview that I'm really excited about, about one of the qualities of being a ballet dancer and how it helps me being a founder now. And I think one of the words that's very important is resilience. And I think that anyone that has this condition, you have to be so resilient. And it's just so beautiful to see someone go through hardship and and work through the many steps and loopholes and bumps to get back to a place. And each time, I mean, I truly believe each time you're stronger and you're a better artist, you're a better dancer, you're a better person, you're a smarter person. I had a really wise teacher. This was a few years ago before the pandemic. Um, Christine Wright, she's now based in Canada. Mm-hmm. She taught I love Christine. Me too. I, I used to take her class. Yes. I miss it so much. City center. So Marimba told me to go to her. <laughs> and she taught me a lot. And it's funny thinking back, she was really helping me with my hypermobility, but I didn't even know it then. And she had said to me, you don't want to be the best dancer in the room. You want to be the smartest dancer in the room. And that sentence stuck with me for the rest of my career. And in those moments of frustration that 
you couldn't do it for the 50th time in rehearsal or you felt something else pull and you're just your mind is already going there it was automatically no you do not need to talk negatively to yourself you need to be smart you need to approach this wisely and you want to be the smartest dancer in the room for you that doesn't mean comparison that means the smartest dancer for you and i say that to myself constantly to this day I think that's really brilliant. And I and I really like that you brought up resilience because I think a lot of my colleagues don't realize that people with EDS are like the most resilient people there are because they have to cope with so much. And that instead of like thinking, oh my gosh, how could you possibly, you must be crazy or lazy because you're reporting all these different things. It's like, no, I'm actually incredibly resilient because I've got all these things going on yet. I'm still standing. I'm still here. Like, I feel like or, ordinary humans are like connective tissue typicals or whatever we want to call them. Like, <laughs> like, like other people, oftentimes they don't really have to deal with too many health challenges. And then when they do, oftentimes they don't cope with it as well. We're, we, we often are, are pretty resilient and adaptable and we just, we just keep going, you know, amazingly enough. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I think we're all meant to live a beautiful life. And I think that we're all dealt different cards and you have to, or at least for me, I really had to figure out how do I make, how do I create beauty from this? And how do I, how do I live a beautiful life and a joyful life? If this is, if this is the situation, you can go on living, being depressed and feeling defeated and feeling mad and what a life, like what, for what, why? And of course I spent probably if you were to add it all up, probably a year, maybe more being mad, hating everything, being so frustrated and angry. And finally, you just have to pick yourself up and just say, do I really want to live my life like this? Do I want to be miserable every single day and hate, hate my body that I was born with? So I, I really think it's just important to find light in order to live a beautiful life. I think that's great. Um, I think that a lot of it can come down to your attitude. Like you've said, like the way that you approach everything um, but you've done a fair amount of study as well and a fair amount of putting your own work into it, gathering your team, learning about all the other things. One of the last things to fall in place for many people is um, their health through what they eat and how they eat and how that can impact their hypermobility and deal with that. And it sounds like you've done a fair amount of research on that through your own health journey. And I believe that um, that was sort of the inspiration to start your own company, um, Get Golden. Can you can you sort of describe how food played a role in your issues and how you found a way to balance nutrition and exercise in a healthy way? Yes. After my first serious injury, I developed quite a bunch of food sensitivities and it was through seeing different doctors and holistic nutritionists and learning more about, this was before this was the very new gut brain connection, gut microbiome. I mean, I think we're all a little bit more familiar with the studies and where things are going in terms of how we can best support our bodies. But I think this was a very new time where I, I was fascinated that trauma or stress or just any sort of imbalance of the gut microbiome could also, and obviously there's still research being done here on a continuous basis, but I was fascinated by that idea that I had spent my entire life maybe having allergic responses to certain things, but never having food sensitivities or allergies. And then all of a sudden I had this huge injury and it kicks off a slew of various food sensitivities. And so I 
I was really, I was frustrated to be honest. I, I couldn't eat a lot of things. I couldn't eat dairy. I couldn't eat gluten. I couldn't eat high histamine foods, fermented foods, avocado and bananas made me break out and my lips would swell. It was bizarre, frustrating. I'm Italian. I love to cook. I Dinner is a huge priority in my family. My dad asked the question. I think I mentioned this in another feature one time, my 7 a.m., maybe earlier. My dad says, what's for dinner? It's it's top priority and not being able to eat any of the foods I love. I, I was really frustrated. And so I started to make all these different snacks and and bites and obviously meals too with the ingredients that I could. And I I think it was probably through one of my injuries where I was recovering where I had more free time. I think I was taking classes at Fordham, going to PT and taking on new passions. And one of those was creating fuel for my body that also healed it. And it was through playing around with different adaptogens and medicinal mushrooms. This was when all of this wasn't so buzzy too. This was probably 10, more than 10 years ago at this point. And I started a blog and I started sharing my recipes and my photos that weren't even that good, but we can say they were um, because I liked photography too. And I, I really love to share. I love to share what I was going through and bringing my, my treats and my snacks to my friends because it gave me a sense of community. It gave me a sense of connection, wanting to share what I was working on and what I was doing. And it was through all of that, that, um, I built the inspiration for my company. And I also was just learning along the way too. I would say each year that I would learn more about my own body and healing my own body. And I now have very little food sensitivities. I avoid gluten during season just because I do necessarily, I just feel a little bit less swollen joint wise and any less, any amount of swelling, you just cut it during season, especially, but I've healed a lot of my food sensitivities through, through healing my body. And I think that there, there is no one way to heal the body. And I think that it's a constant process and I couldn't even explain exactly how I did it other than through work and really listening to both doctors and myself and the responses I would get. But I, I, I think I gained this level of both frustration and understanding for the need of balance. And I think I would roll my eyes and still sometimes roll my eyes at that statement because you tell someone that is celiac or can't eat dairy or something to just say, oh, live a little, like life is about balance, but that's not always the reality. And I think we really need to take each person's situation, each, each phase of life and phase of where your body is at a given time and really assess what what can my body handle? What can't my body handle? And back to my point before, make light of it, make, make it joyful, make it fun. And my company is about finding balance, the balance between health and taste. And I, this was at a time where, I mean, the gluten-free aisle was like in the back of the grocery store, no one could find it. And it was, it was a little bit hard to find gluten-free snacks. And so I, I wanted to create a space in a company that helped people find balance in order to live a healthful and active life. Mm. Well, and I, I think that's such an important point. First of all, you made so many good points. Um, right off, there is no one right way to do everything, right? To, to get for healing, to treat your issues. Um, everybody's path is going to be a little bit different. And that's why it's so important to have a support team around you that can help you figure out what is right for you and what may be right for you may not be right 
for the next person who is diagnosed with EDS. So it's so important to remember that each person's journey might look different. Um, but the second point that you made about finding balance is so um, is so important as well. And I can't help but wonder what your journey would have looked like or how much longer it might've taken to reach that sweet spot um, if you hadn't had something else to pour into. You found the idea of, of cooking and sharing and photography and had this passion that you could feed and find joy with while you were still trying to recover from your injury. And so many times the people that we talk to, they say it's so important to have um, an identity outside of dance or skating or whatever it is that they do. So I think that too is part of finding balance that you have an identity now outside of um, I'm a dancer, right? You you have so much more to you than that. Um, what do you think about that? Did you see me? Not, am I nodding? Nodding. <laughs> I can hear your head. You notice I'm, I'm, I'm officially rocking, happy. rocking, rocking and nodding. I'm a huge proponent of a ballet dancer having a passion a life and identity outside of ballet. And I want to say I learned the hard way. I, I think many dancers do at some point in their career. I, I would hope that they don't, but you, we train our whole lives to do this one art. We start at a very young age. It takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of sacrifice. And in that you lose out or you miss out on different opportunities that you would normally have as a kid, as a college student, where you have maybe different hobbies and different groups of friends that might not be dancers. And I think when, when your ballerina identity is stripped from you, from let's say an injury an illness, if you have something, you really have to think about what else you have. And I think that for me, because I don't want to compare myself to anyone else. I definitely had obviously lots of friends outside of the ballet world, but I definitely think I could have had more passions as a young dancer, or maybe, maybe it happened at the right time. Sometimes I think everything is a blessing and I don't know, Simon Sinek talks about the finite mindset and ballet. You think about once you achieve something great, you achieve your dream. I got into New York city ballet. I wanted, I told my grandmother, I wanted to dance in New York city ballet when I was four. I don't know how, but it happened. And when you have that euphoric feeling of achieving your dream, and then it's stripped from you, there is nothing worse than the feeling of that being stripped from you. And in order to balance that out, you have to have an identity outside of the industry, outside of ballet to make you a fulfilled whole person to live back to my point, a beautiful, joyful life. And I also have to admit to myself that this career isn't forever. And maybe it depends on what path you want to take, but some people don't want to teach ballet after their career is over. Some people do want to have another career outside in a completely different industry. And it's so important to make those connections to make, even to just tap into a different way of using your brain and your body. And I also think about um, just your own confidence toolkit and showing up in the studio. I think ballet, it's, it's hard. It's a life in front of a mirror. It's a life in front of your colleagues, in front of an audience. It's tough. And we have this inner voice in our head saying, you need to turn out more. You need to point your foot. Oh, you didn't do that. Oh, he fell out of this. And I think it, it starts to weigh on you a little bit. And I think having confidence in, in yourself, in a different industry, in a different way of using and applying yourself is extremely important for you as a dancer or was for me. I feel like I, I gained a whole new identity. I would say, I, I really think back to 
myself as a young dancer training and I had zero confidence. I was the one in the back, in the back by the door. Don't look at me. Don't look <laughs> at me. Do not look. And it was through, it was through the injuries and studying and applying myself to different. I mean, I showed up at everything. You name the free food event. I went to it. Founder event went to it. Capital raising structure event went to that. And yeah, it was through all of that, that I built out this new toolkit and it made me feel really excited and enlightened and passionate about something else outside of ballet. And obviously when you're in it and you're mid season right now, ballet does feel a, a bit consuming and I would be lying if that at least didn't, doesn't sometimes feel like a reality where you really do have to plug in, in terms of understanding what exactly are the needs to make these rehearsals happen, to make the show happen. And it does require a lot of dedication, but you knowing that that other side of you is there, it's just, it's comforting and it's, it makes you whole. And back to, there is a reality that that ballet identity can be stripped from you at any moment. You can fall, you can get injured, you can get sick, you need to retire. I mean, it's a reality and it's, it's really important to set yourself up for living a joyful life on your terms once that identity doesn't necessarily exist in the way that you want it to. I love the idea of the confidence toolkit. When I'm working with a client or a patient, I I often talk about toolkits for like pain management, managing injuries or whatever, but I haven't really thought of a confidence toolkit before. And you're right, in ballet especially, we're constantly being told, you know, you're never perfect, right? You're, there, there's always more. Give me more of this. Give me more of that. And and you know, yeah. Every once in a while, you might get thrown a compliment for the. But for the most part, your notes are going to be corrections, right? And in whether it's in class or or whatever. So I think that's that's really that's really really good. And I think that's something, especially for young dancers, that's really important for them to hear. Yeah, I wish. Luckily, I, I hadn't. I mean, luckily, but I had a very serious injury very early on in my career, which was a blessing. But for young dancers, it is important because I think it'll set them up for a much happier, happier life, happier career. Yep. And a lot of dancers uh, or a lot of people really wanted to know fr from you how you found that sweet spot of, you know, uh, staying at an elite level of performance or coming back, I should say, to an elite level of performance. Because obviously it sounds like it's really been a seesaw for you where, you know, you've had an injury and been out and then have come back. Um, how you've been able to do that and take care of your health. And uh, I know you've talked about this in a couple of major journals recently. Um, I think that you were interviewed both, both for Self Magazine and Wall Street Journal, right? Yeah, that's pretty amazing um, about your about yourself and your health and also your company, Get Golden. Um, but uh, I think a lot of people would really like, a lot of younger dancers especially were like, how does she do it? How, you know, what, what's this, what, what are the secrets and everyone's body's different, obviously, but we would love to hear how you figured that out. Uh, this is a, this is a complicated answer, but <laughs> I think we go through waves and phases in our lives. And I know I may be speaking to younger dancers. So these phases are probably just beginning, but there are times where you simply have to plug in. And that means listing out what are my priorities? What do I need to accomplish? And I'm talking about, let's say, getting back on stage, getting back into the studio, 
being able to do a specific set of physical therapy exercises. I mean, it really, the list is goes from one extreme to the other, but I think when you have those specific types of goals, because if your goal is to get back on stage performing, you really need to be realistic with yourself and, and figure out for your own body, what are the things that I need to do in order to accomplish this? And you have to be really honest with yourself. And this is where obviously seeing your healers and your, your team of people to help, because we can't do this on our own. But for me, it's, it's always about finding, finding balance. I mean, it's going to come off constantly, but finding balance in being a bit regimented. And I, I hate that word. Um, maybe consistent is better. Both of the words, I think regimented feels a bit rigid. I think consistency is a much better way to put that where you need to go back to that list of what you need to do in order to achieve what you want. And it might not be fun. I'm, I, I, I can't say that coming back from an injury is necessarily fun. I mean, you're jumping in a pool, you're learning how to walk. You're trying to do these stupid calf raises 50 million times. (laughs) Oh my. Sound like my dancers. More calf raises. (laughs) But if you, if that's what you want, a lot of things don't just ta-da appear. It, it does take work and you, yeah, I, I, I would say that I go through phases where I, I have to take a step back, reassess and figure out what are my priorities at this given time in this phase and what are the steps and things that I need to do in order to make that happen? And then how do I balance that out and fill in those gaps with balance, with joy, with things that I'm passionate about, all the above. So for me, I definitely have a list of, and I'm happy to list them out. I have a list of things that I know, especially right now that make me, make me feel like my strongest and best answer. And that also helped me recover that have changed over the years because we all change and we get older, we grow, we, we get stronger in some areas, we get weaker in others. And it really is about just checking in with yourself at a given time and really just being honest. Being honest is very important. And even as you said, your list changes at over time. Right. And that's, that's important too. What worked for you five years ago may not be what works now. Your body circumstances might be different. Your life circumstances might be different. Um, before we started talking, uh, for the interview, we were, we were talking about, um, sort of your evening schedule and how that may or may not affect how you feel. And I think that's really important for other people to hear too. So however much control you have over your schedule, how does that help you like with recovery, with rest and and that sort of thing? I would say that I've learned a lot about recovery time, about, how long my particular body needs to rest, how much I can push my body. And this is all very individual. So the amount of times your friend can rehearse a specific ballet, the amount of times your friend can do the jumping combination is not the same as you. And that's a lot harder when you're a student where you are trying to quote unquote train and quote unquote prove yourself, which is just a silly way to look at it. And I, um, I learned a lot about timing and I think mostly I was bringing this up before where I, I have noticed when you get out of a show very, very late at night, you feel much different the following morning having the show than if you didn't have the show, even if you had danced the same amount, 
throughout the day. Let's say you had training class and then you rehearsed until 7 p.m. and the rep was actually harder than the show. But for some reason, if you have the show until 10.30 and then you have to be back in the studio at 10.30 the following morning, that turnaround time and body, body recovery, it feels different. It really does. I Maybe it doesn't affect other people. Maybe this is age. Maybe this is EDS. I'm not here to label anyone, even myself. I'm still I'm still figuring things out. But I can say this from experience where I have noticed how much fresher my legs feel, how much less inflamed things are when I wake up in the morning, when you're not dancing every single night until let's say 10, 10, 15. Would I change it? No. Do I have the tools to help with the inflammation? Yes. Do I have to use them? Yes. And it, it it's pretty remarkable if you think about it, how that, that shift, it's only what, three, four hours mm-hmm. wild. Mm-hmm that that affects the body so much, or at least mine. Mm-hmm. But well, and, and we talk a lot about how rest and recovery are so important and learning how, you know, artists don't always have control over their schedules. So whatever control you do have, taking advantage of it, and maybe after dance, not going and pounding the pavement to go shopping or going out and partying with your friends and, you know, giving yourself those times down um, when you can are so important. And it seems like you've done a really good job figuring out what works for you at this point in life and, and, um, and making, finding balance, like you keep saying, finding that balance for you. Um, so I want you to write two letters or give out two sets of wisdom. What do you say to those younger ones who are starting to hit that wall um, of this is too hard? I don't know how I can do this anymore. And, and what do you want to say to your future self? Um, so let's give us some advice backwards and forwards. I would say, trust the process back to our earlier conversation. We're all dealt different cards and your body is not like mine. Mine's not like yours. Yours isn't like your friends. And there are going to be moments that are really low and really frustrating. And you really have to be honest and look inward and figure out what will make me feel like my best self. And sometimes that's rest. Sometimes that's working harder. Sometimes that's seeing a different healer. Sometimes that's seeing a different trainer. Sometimes that's hanging out with friends. Sometimes that's finding a passion outside of ballet. But you really have to accept the low moments, accept those feelings, work through those feelings, but then reach a point where you pull yourself out. And only you can really do that. And then part two, my future self. Okay, so this is a quote, not a quote. It's a word from one of my favorite childhood movies, The Polar Express. My family watches it every Thanksgiving since it came out. And it's just the word believe. And my mom, it's one, it's in our text thread, me, my mom, and my sister, especially we have this text thread and especially around Christmas, we always say it, but I would tell my future self to believe. Um, I've learned a lot in my many years with the company as a professional ballerina, battling various injuries and now building a company and through the worst of times and the best of times, you just have to believe. And that's what I would say. We have, we have covered a lot <laughs> today. Um, and I'm so grateful for the time that you have spent talking with us and sharing sort of your experience, like within the bubble as a child, figuring out how to really thrive there and the whole act of finding balance within your life, within your career, um, within your illness or your injuries, um, just sort of how to find that. Um, is there anything that we didn't discuss that you would like to touch on? I think I just want to thank you both. I, I think many people would agree with this. But finding your podcast really did change my life. It was a really dark time for me when I discovered it. And 
there were several episodes where I would just cry through it because I felt so frustrated that this was me, but it was working through that and feeling like I wasn't alone. That gave me hope. And I think what you both are doing is remarkable and just so important to the dance community and beyond. I think there is so much research that needs to be done with EDS and who it affects and how it affects people and where things are going. And it's only going to get solved through both research and getting the word out there. And I wanted to thank you both for having me. It's an honor to speak on a podcast that I listened to for many, many moons. And that's, that's what I wanted to say. That's, that's all I've got. Well, we're happy with that. We'll let you say that. <laughs> um, but I will make you say more. Um, where can people find you? Because I know a lot of people are going to want to reach out and find you and learn more about you and your company. You can find me. I need to post more. I'm going to have a new EDS tab officially. I need to figure out. Oh, that would be awesome. I need to redo my highlights. They're very outdated. I know. Hopefully by the time <laughs> it airs, they won't be all weird. But um, it's so much work. I know. know, but it's necessary. And you can find me at Janelle Manzi, J-E-N-E-L-E-M-A-N-Z-I on Instagram and TikTok. I don't use that, but I, I do do TikTok too. And um, my website for my company is Get Golden, G-E-T-G-O-L-D-E-N.com. And same for their Instagram. Excellent. And we will have that in the liner notes as well of the podcast. So people can be sure to be able to find you. Um, you have been listening to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD. And our guest today is Janelle Manzi, professional ballet dancer with New York City Ballet and founder of Get Golden. Janelle, thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey and your words of wisdom and encouragement to all of our listeners. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It was an honor. We feel so fortunate to get to chat with you. And I, I know a lot of a lot of dancers and non-dancers are going to really enjoy getting to hear your story and, and uh, you're such an inspiration. So thank you. Please help us spread the word about hypermobility and associated conditions by leaving a review and sharing the podcast. This really helps with podcast rankings and raising awareness about these complex conditions. If you love what you heard, follow the Bendy Bodies podcast. Start that second thing again. If you love what you learned, Follow the Bendy Bodies podcast to avoid missing future episodes. Screenshot this episode tagging us in your story so we can connect. Our website is www.bendybodies.org and follow us on Instagram at bendy underscore bodies. We love seeing your posts and stories, so please tag us using hashtag bendy buddy. This information is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The information shared is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please refer to your local qualified health practitioner for all medical concerns. We will catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies podcast. If you love what you learned, follow the Bendy Bodies podcast to avoid missing future episodes. Screenshot this episode tagging us in your story so we can connect. Our website is www.bendybodies.org and follow us on Instagram at bendy underscore bodies. We love seeing your posts and stories, so please tag us using hashtag bendy buddy. Please leave a review and share the podcast to help us spread the word about hypermobility and associated conditions. This information is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The information shared is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
please refer to your local qualified health practitioner for all medical concerns. We will catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies Podcast. This episode of the Bendy Bodies Podcast was brought to you by Bauerfine Premium Braces and Supports, designed to provide joint stability and pain relief.